Thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. Today's message is a continuation of our prophetic training series by Lane Reading. To find out more information about this podcast or other resources, go to ctfboulder.com. Let's continue this crazy subject. Um, For those of you who are watching for the first time, um, we started a series, it's under the heading of session two, and this is about how we hear God for ourselves, um, the wonderful, awkward reality. Um, and we've done several different things. Um, and this week, last week, we went into, you know, the whole Corinthian gifts This week, we're going to get into the Romans and maybe the Ephesians. Um, But before we do that, my goal is to see if I can make at least Christy smile or laugh. So I've got a few jokes here. Um, All right, let's start with this one. This is for specifically my wife and Barbara or Beth, if they're listening, the linguistic geniuses in my life. So a woman in labor suddenly shouted, shouldn't! Wouldn't, couldn't, don't, can't. And the doctor in the room said, don't worry, those are just contractions. Uh, Let's see here. Um, A Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with the five and six-year-olds. After explaining the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, she asked, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without missing a beat, one little child sighed and said, thou shalt not kill. Let's see. Oh, why do we tell actors or actresses to break a leg when they go for an audition? Because every audition has a cost. (laughs) Okay, I'm getting some laughs, some smiles. All right, last one. Maybe. Little, so, little Johnny's new baby brother was screaming up a storm. Johnny goes up to his mom and says, Mom, where did he come from? He came from heaven, Johnny. Johnny responds, wow, now I know why they threw him out. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Hence why I don't have a stand-up comedian career. Okay. Uh, What's that? I'm working on it. There we go. Hopefully, I made you roll your eyes or you know, smile. Um, Okay. Um, Let's jump into this. So we're back on the gifts of the Trinity. And what I I just want to explain something. You know, by saying this is the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of God, the gifts of Jesus, I'm not trying to say, you know, they're separate and they're different. And in, in the sense, God is one, okay? But it's different aspects of his being that he's expressing in different ways. Not to show division, but to show unity and and bring out different aspects. Okay, so please don't misunderstand the heart of what I'm doing here. Um, And as I mentioned last week, well, let's just jump into it. Um, Unfortunately, those in the room, you'd have to look at the back to see. We can't project it up there. Um, I'm going to do a quick recap of what we went through last week. And one was the gifts are for power. And that scripture is 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, the kingdom of God does not consist of talk but of power. And so the point of that isn't to say it's it's not that the kingdom of God is only power. But to say there is an element of the kingdom of God that comes with power. And if there isn't power at times, then maybe we don't have the kingdom of God. And we're told to pursue the kingdom of God, which means we're to pursue those interactions with God where, in a sense, we're touched by him. We know that he has moved in our lives. We've seen him. The other thing that I emphasized and stressed was that every place that 
the gifts I mentioned, the Corinthians, the Romans, and the Ephesians, everything around them has to do with unity. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, for just as the body is one and has many members. And then in 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And then in Romans it says, for as in one body we have many members. So it's this issue of unity. Then in Ephesians, it's not just unity, but it's also maturity. So Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's quite a word. That word measure... Um, will become more and more important as we get into other sessions. It's actually the word metron in the Greek. And it has to do with spheres of influence. It, it's actually something you can measure. That, but that word's going to come up later. So again, God wants us to grow up to the measure, the sphere of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So it cracks me up when people look back nostalgically to the Old Testament, or the, you know, the, not the Old Testament, but the New Testament, and just go, oh, if only we could live back there. They had it so perfectly. Everything was wonderful. <sighs> Besides the fact that they were being slaughtered, their lifespan was maybe 25. I, I mean, let's, now, I'm being cheeky for a reason. Yes, there were some amazing things. And I'm not... But there were also some amazing things that we will discuss. Why do I say that? Because the, the negative side of nostalgia is that it excuses us from living today and making a difference where we're at today. It was so wonderful back then, we can never get to it all. It's going to be so wonderful, why do I have to change now? And so that's the challenge with living in the past and living in the future if it doesn't allow us to make a difference in the present. And that's the challenge. Okay. So that's a summary of last week. So let's move on. Okay. God of gifts of, sorry, gifts of the God. Okay. That's what I've got there, gifts of the God. Probably forgot to remove the, not probably. <laughs> um, but it, this is the one out of Romans. And this is where we're going to spend some time going through this. And I'm actually going to read um, Romans 12, 1 through 4, out of the amplified version. Okay, So we get the nuances, the subtleties of meaning behind you, because there's some things, and then we'll go through a little more. So let me read it to you, Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, siblings, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. Now, I want you to see it says living sacrifice. It's, and don't misunderstand me, it's so easy to die for Christ because then you're dead and you don't have to do the hard work of trying to live for him. Serious. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to die. Don't misunderstand what I'm not saying. But it says a living sacrifice. Holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So God wants us to make a decision to, to pour it all out for him. Do not, now how? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. That word world actually means this age. 
So do not be conformed to this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external and superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind. How many of you have heard of teachings on renewing your mind? Do you understand that it's the prelude to the gifts? In other words, to function and moving gifts takes us renewing our minds. So, fashion, so let's see, okay. Renew, renewal of our minds by its new ideals and its new attitudes so that you may prove. Why does God want you to renew your mind or me renew my mind? So that I can prove for myself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good, acceptable, and perfect in his sight for me or you. So the point of renewing our mind is to know what God's good, perfect, and pleasing will of God is for me. Not so that I can criticize everyone else how they're screwing up. That's what God wants for us. This is the prelude to the gifts. It takes renewing of our minds. Let's go to the next one. Romans 12, 3 through 5. Again, in the Amplified. For by the grace, the unmerited favor of God given to me, I warn everyone. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, God wants you to renew your mind so you can understand what his purposes are. Why is he warning us? We're about to get into gifts. For by the grace of God given to me, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of themselves more highly than they ought. Not to have an exaggerated faith. No. Not to have an exaggerated work ethic. No. Not to have an exaggerated opinion of their own importance. Now, ladies, the flip side of the same coin is to not have an under-exaggerated opinion of your own importance. Here I am, God, send that man. Now, some of you are not that way. Humility is agreeing with what God says about you. That's brutal. Now, that doesn't, I mean, if God says you're the next president, that doesn't mean everybody around you is going to see it that way. Just like Joseph. That doesn't give you a right to act like whatever. But do you hear what it's, it's saying? Judge yourself soberly. Don't have an exaggerated opinion of your own importance. But to rate their ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned to him by God. Now that phrase we're actually going to look at in a lot of detail in the next slide. Because it's critical we get this. God is saying some things before we get into the gifts. For as in one physical body we have many parts, and there's so many jokes, you know, about who's which part and who doesn't want to be what part, um, and organs and members, and all of these parts do not have the same functional use. Now, really, do you think they were that dumb back there that Paul had to go, now you realize your head and your arm are different and they do different things. Were they that stupid? No. So why was he saying this? Because like us, they didn't get it. Well, they don't think like me. They don't do what I do. So why does he keep saying there's one spirit and one? Because it seems like there's more spirits and more bodies. Is Paul saying that everybody has to act the same and look the same? Cannot be. Because that would mean none of us could have individuality. And God made us unique. Every family is unique. There's nothing wrong with that. Every church is unique. But God is saying there's a bigger picture in this diversity that we have to learn. 
So we, numerous as we are, are one body in Christ, the Messiah. And individually, we are parts of one another, mutually dependent on one another. And I'm jumping a bit ahead in this statement, but for people who are called to be prophets or prophetic and are validated, you know, not just anyone who says it, but who genuinely have that calling, besides dealing with I'm the only one in depression, the other thing you will deal with is that at times God will go completely silent in your life. And you will struggle to hear God that way in your own life. You know why? You would be insufferable to live with otherwise. Serious. We need each other. So guess what? Sometimes God doesn't speak because he wants you to talk to your brothers and sisters. Because guess what? They really do have some good things to say to you. Hey, you need to know what it feels like. God, are you really saying that? You said it through Sansa. You said it through Sansa. Is that really you? Are you really? Now, don't misunderstand me. Remember I said, doesn't matter what your gifting is, you're not called to live by your gifting. You're called to live by faith. Because <laughs> the moment you get comfortable in your gifting, God ups the ante, changes some things, keeps us in faith. Or we become stale, and then we, we don't enjoy our lives. And... Do you hear the heart of what I'm saying? Okay, let, let's move on. Okay, now we're going to look at that one section, okay? But to rate their ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned, to, apportioned by God to him. So rate their ability. That means to position the mind in a certain way. So when you write your bill, God wants you to position the way you think a certain way. In the context of what's said, it means to rate your own ability. So you, you, you've got to put your frame of reference of looking at yourself. <gasps> That's what this whole session's about. Now, why, why do I say that? Because as we get into the gifts, it, we, re, we begin to compare. And we begin to whatever. But the point of this is for us to look, not just in us, but, but look at ourselves and say, God, what have you said? What, what are we seeing? Where have we moved? What's he saying? So position our mind not to overrate, and as I say, ladies, underrate ourselves. Somber judgment means to think and live wisely in self-control over one's passions and desires. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but do you see why I say it's important for us to understand our relationship with God? Because out of this flows all the other things we're going to talk about. God wants to position our mind in a way where we can do this. And later on, I rewrite this using all of this just to give you an idea. The word degree is that word metron, measure, sphere of influence. How much, uh, how much or how many, something you can quantify. We go into it again, as I said, a lot more in the other sessions. Faith, I always use Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the convictions of things not seen. And apportioned means to give out of one's portion or share. Okay, so here's my loose translation of this. To bring out different things, okay? We are to position our minds in such a way that we live wisely in self-control over our own passions and desires. We do this so that we can rate our own abilities before God according to, quanti according to quantity, sorry, according to the quantity of assurance 
we have for things hopeful that comes from God's assigned share to us. It makes it a lot more personal. We see the aspects of this dynamic interaction. We are involved in this process a lot more than I think at times we're comfortable with or want to be. I think sometimes, you know, at first we're afraid the Holy Spirit's going to come over and take control of us. And at some point we go, just come over and take control of me, please. (laughs) This would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? (laughs) God loves us. It's the invitation into his presence. This is all the prelude to about the gifts. So let's get into some sticky, icky. How do we know the measure of faith apportioned to us? It just said we must know that. Judge ourselves according to the faith, to the measure of faith apportioned to us. How do we do that? I'm not sure I have a complete answer. I really don't. I have some ideas. You run into the wall often enough, you go, oh, that doesn't work. Maybe that's not the right thing. Okay, so I'm going to reread that one section we just went through in the English Standard Version just because it's a little abbreviated. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. How do we do that? How do we personally know when we have exceeded our measure of faith? For me, at first, it was easier to identify the measure than the level of faith. Your sphere. And for those who can see my notes, sorry, it's a little crowded, but measure, as we will learn in other sessions, is our sphere of influence. One of the ways we know we have exceeded our sphere is when we find ourselves more and more in oppositional relationships with the leadership in our lives, at work, at church, etc. For example, when people overlook us or just don't get what we're trying to communicate or accomplish, what do we do? Do we walk away completely, stand our ground and become, walk away, or like most of the introverts, walk away and go, there's my marbles never coming back? Or do we stand our ground and go, hell will freeze over, baby? <laughs> or do we try to solve the issue, become a solution, or do we put everyone on the opposite side of the table? And many of us do that without even realizing it. How we address something. Do we have everybody sit here and we put the issue here and how are we going to solve this versus sucks to be you, look at what you did. Now, there is time that we need to be held accountable and hold people. But how we do that is very different. What am I saying here? This measure, when we start finding ourselves coming unglued, that must be a sign. Now, sometimes we do have to stand up and God has said things and we do need to say some things and not everything's going to go pretty. But how do we handle that? Are we a Saul or a David? Are we a Mary or a Martha? This is what God is trying to get after us. At my point three, I say, I'm not saying there aren't times when we, when we must stand up for what we believe God is saying. Rather, what I'm saying is let's look at how we're doing it. The point is Unity. Most misunderstandings are about how we communicate. Tell me one married couple that agrees on everything. 
There, there isn't one. And some people have been married longer than I've been alive. So there's something more to that. Okay. I, I think you get... So the point here is the measure. But look, there are times when we come to the edge of our faith. Um, But I think most people have never come to that place. Most people are so afraid of stepping out, they don't step into their faith or their measure. Nowhere in Scripture do I see God beating people for trying to go too far. Wow, look at you! I said 10 steps and you took 11! Well... Nowhere. So what's that fear in us? I remember a time when God <laughs> told me to do a miracle, and I'm going, God, lame, no confusion here. What do you want to do? <laughs> and he said nothing. And I was like, okay. And he said to me, I told you to do a miracle. And I'm going, yes, sir. I don't do miracles. You do. And then I, we were in Thailand, and I was teaching a class. And I looked at somebody, and I went, whatever's in my head, I'm going to say to him. And I did. And they started crying. And I went, I think that's accurate. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the presence of God around me became so powerful. And I just began to tremble. Because it was, I didn't know. Most times I can sense my thoughts from God's thoughts, or I, I know things, but at that point I was in sheer obedience. I didn't care if I was wrong, I was going to be obedient. I don't mind being wrong, I do mind being disobedient. And in that case, it was pretty clear. I don't know what a miracle was, I was just going to do something. <laughs> He's only spoken to me that way a few times in my life, fortunately. But what happened was his presence became so real, and I became aware, and I just said, God, you can't trust me here. I felt like whatever I said would happen. And I said, God, you cannot trust me here. I don't know my own heart. Please, I'm not there. And I wasn't trying to be humble. I was literally afraid of the place I was in. I was at the edge of my faith. I, 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 I couldn't go any further. Not out of rebellion, not out of fear, but out of absolute awareness of his holiness and who I wasn't. And he never got angry at me. He said, this is where I'm bringing you and the body back to. And I still don't understand that. Remember I gave that guy a word about he had a business deal and he had, you know, spent like $10 and he had made 100 and then he had taken 100 and now he was about to take all that money and put it in another deal and, you know, anyway. And in the middle of that, I, you know, I just, out of my mouth came, and they're going to call you, and that deal's going to go through, and, you know, all of this. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, if I'm wrong, the man's going to lose everything, and just because you told me to do a miracle. <laughs> Fortunately, towards the end of the meeting, his phone rang, and he was a mess in a good way. And I'm here to tell a story. He loves us. He is more 
than we could ever understand, and yet he wants us to grow and be with him. What is that in your life? Okay. Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. So the word gift means present grace, a present given as a sign of a beneficent favor. Grace, God's empowering presence. Now, grace has a lot of definitions, but for me, that symbolizes it for me a lot, you know? Because grace is the ability to do something you can't do. Prophecy, as we've heard before, the ability to deliver representative declarations of the mind, the will, or knowledge of God. Proportion. Mathematical proportion, comparing the ratios. So let me put it in my words. Having present grace of gifts that differ according to the empowering presence given to us, let us use them. If the ability to declare the mind, the will, or knowledge of God, let's do it by the ratio of assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That doesn't sound quite as religious as I'm comfortable with. It gets a little too weird. <laughs> it gets real. I think what I love about the different translations, because they're all written for different reasons, is they bring a different focus. Some focus on the imagery, some focus on the symbolism, some focus on the literal words, some focus on the flow of the language. You get a different feel. But having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, why would Paul say we're given different gifts? So that we can have better understanding of each other and how to work together. And we're going to get into this. Okay. And it says, if prophecy, prophesy according to the measure of your faith. I remember a story about Jack Deere, who was a theologian out of the Baptist Theological Seminary. To say he didn't believe in the gifts would be an understatement. He not only didn't believe in them, he thought those who functioned in them were of the devil. And he was being honest. He loved Jesus. He wasn't an evil man at all. Um, and then he met some true prophets who weren't fortunately arrogant and out to prove themselves, um, who told him things that nobody, not even his wife, could have told him. And he experienced God in a way that opened his mind to scriptures in a way he had never, ever experienced. And he said, in this one um, meeting I was in, he said that, you know, he never quite understood. He said he would put his hand on one of the prophets, one of them was Bob Jones, and he said anytime his hand was on Bob Jones, no matter what came out of his mouth was accurate. And he said, then he forgot and took his hand off, and everything that came out of his mouth wasn't accurate. People would stare at him like, what's your issue? <laughs> so he put his hand back on Bob Jones, and then everything would be accurate. What does that tell you? What did he learn? He learned that gifting transmits, that being around people. God was teaching him specifically. But there is something about the impartation of gifts, not just of prophecy, but of some of these other ones that are critical. Do you know at this point, gifts aren't as needed and don't misunderstand me because you know my passion for gifts has the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you have heard me talk about how God said he was going to weaponize the fruit of the Spirit. That peace will become a weapon of war. That 
When you walk into a crowd full of fear, do they need a, a prophetic word? Maybe one person does, but no, what they need is the peace of God to move and change the atmosphere. That's the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but powerful to pulling down strongholds. Love. What costs out fear? Perfect love. What do we need right now? Love. That's what deals with the fear in our heart. God is marrying the gifts and the fruit. Because you've heard me say prophecy without love, it's almost a form of prostitution. Okay. Whew, that got heavy. Maybe I should try to tell another dad joke. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Let's go into some of the others. Romans 12, 7. If service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in their teaching. So service is this word diakonian, which means work of service or work done by individual or group. And serving is the verb, or diakonoia, the service done to and for others. And I, I've got a point here. Service and serving are words in Scripture tied to the word deacon, that concept. Many Bibles at the word service will point you to a cross-reference in Acts 6.1. That is where... <gasps> The perfect church in the New Testament was racist. Oh, no. I thought it was just a modern problem. No. The Hellenic Jews and the Jewish Jews, the Jewish woman Jews, were getting more food than the Hellenic Jews. And the apostles were getting swamped by complaints that some of the Hellenic Jews weren't getting their share. So what did they do? They said, pick Seven men that are good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. And so they did. That's what this is referring to. So we think the gift of service is just, well, you know, we go around helping people. Yes, that's part of it. But it's not just, we always go, oh, just, really? Do you know what some of those initial deacons did? It, there is power in this. Yes, there's a practical side. And the apostle said, we need them to do this so we can focus on the word. Why? Well, when they didn't have Bibles back then, <laughs> most people couldn't read. But more than that, that wasn't their focus. We have different gifts. And we just saw the birth of a gift. <gasps> but I thought they were, as a, yeah, it's God, man, us. It seemed good to the Spirit and to us. This line is a little fuzzy. What I'm trying to say is several of you, and I know some of you have this gift, underrate yourself. It doesn't say... Servants of everybody's desires. It doesn't say slave to other people's wants and needs. It comes with a, sp a specific purpose. Okay? It's meant to have an impact. Okay, next one. Teachers. Well, to impart skill or knowledge and teaching is the activity of educating or instructing. And it's so easy to be a teacher, right? I mean, they've, they've got it easy. <gasps> Until you read James 3.1. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. <gasps> now, wait a minute. I thought it was a gift. What do you mean you get judged based upon how you use the gift? 
I thought it was just the prophets that got judged, and maybe those apostles, you know, because they scooped the poop at the end of the parade. Why am I being a little cheeky? These gifts are aspects of God's personality and who he is. And they have weight. They have purpose. They have destiny. Okay, let's move on. Romans 12, 8. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity. So to exhort, to earnestly support or encourage a response or action. Sounds like a cheerleader. Exhortation, to act earnestly, supporting or encouraging a response or action. Don't you just hate those people, especially early in the morning before you've had coffee? I'm teasing. Am I? Don't, don't you have those people in your life at times who just, you just want them to shut up? I don't care if you write. I want another cup of coffee. <laughs> now, I'm being a little silly, but there is this element. God called, that is a gift. If you have the gift, I've just showed you how sometimes you can be perceived. And sometimes how you have been treated. Because you didn't understand your gifting. And so you don't think people are listening, and so you get louder and louder and more intense, and people back off and back off and back off. This is why I was saying a lot of times we misunderstand our gifting, and we must grow in our communication. Please, you exhorters, absolutely vital, but don't wear yourself out. contributes to give out of one's portion or share, generosity, the quality of being honest and straightforward in attitude and speech. Now that's interesting. Which takes you to Acts 5, 1 through 8. This is where I think we get a glimpse of this gift. And again, it's Ananias and Sapphira. And we see Peter, and it says they sell a field, and they decide to lie. And say, we sold it for 100, when they sold it for, I don't know, 200. And Peter says to, them, do you, to the husband, do you really think you could lie to the Holy Spirit? And he drops dead. A few hours later, the wife comes in and says the same thing, and she drops dead. Personally, I think Peter heard the Spirit of God, but whether he didn't, if somebody in the banking system told him, the consequences of that are not normally what you see. Now, what am I saying here? I'm saying the, this gifting of contributing and generosity must be unbelievably important to God for purity that he would give such a demonstration. I know some people who God took to task because they gave people money and God said to them, it took me five years to get them there. It's going to take me another five years to get them back because of what you've done. Uh-oh. In our gifting, we cannot be nicer than Jesus. You cannot pay the price for somebody else's disobedience. Continued disobedience, let me say that. Not that God's judging them. But it's growing up. Now, we're also not supposed to be meaner than the devil. <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> no. That's not the issue. The issue is about discipleship means helping somebody to grow up, not judging them and condemning. These giftings 
are the grace of God and there are times he moves and he tells us to do things. But we must listen in our exhorting, in our contributing. Okay, and we're running out of time here, so let's finish up here. That was 12A, let's go to 12A-B. The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So leads means to be in charge. <gasps> zeal means excited fervor to do something or accomplish some end. I mean, who wants to follow Eeyore? Well, maybe we'll get there. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean you want to follow somebody who's Pollyanna. It means... Genuine conviction. Now, I've got a thing here. Remember Joseph, Moses, David, Peter, and I. We could add a list. Sorry, ladies, for some reason I didn't throw some ladies' names in there, mostly because the scripture doesn't use them as graphically as men on this one. Um, we're so much more humble than women. And if you believe that, I have ice in winter to sell you. Um, what I'm saying is, the gift of leadership, part of it is a gift. Now, all gifts you have to grow up in. So are you born with it, or is it nature, is it nurture? Yes. Some are born with maybe a little more than others and do nothing with it and go nowhere. Some are born with none and learn everything and go far. What do you give yourself to? But the gift of leadership doesn't mean that everybody else is entitled to your leadership. <laughs> David was called, but not chosen. He had to earn his right. And when he became king, what was it? Nine of the other tribes went, that little shepherd squirt ain't following him until he proved himself with the three he had that they went, whoa, we, think we were wrong. Oh, kissy, kissy. Because they saw what he could do. His leadership accomplished something. It's a difficult gift, as I've mentioned about the others. So, acts of mercy to show leniency and compassion towards something or someone. Cheerfulness. The quality of being cheerful and dispelling gloom. Okay? Now, I'm going to choose not to mention names, but this gift has been butchered in the body of Christ. I know too many people with the gift of mercy who are all but destroyed in their faith. And I want to tell you that it does not say cheerful, you know, well, sorry, my line here says this means your cheerfulness is an actual act of war. It destroys or dispels gloom. That does not mean that you are meant to be merciful to everyone, but to those God tells you to. And when you lose your cheerfulness, and I mean when it stops dispelling the gloom in your own life, you've gone too far. You must Rest and rejuvenate. You have to go. Jesus died for the rest of the world. I am not the Savior. In a sense, let them all go to hell, God. I've got to not go to hell myself. I know that sounds radical. For some of the other gifts, they go, yeah, what's the problem? Because the people with this gift struggle with a word called N-O. No. Okay? You can say, no. Now, if you're laughing, you probably have this gift. Some of you think it's a curse. That's because you didn't understand it. It's needed, it's vital, but it's a gift. And when it doesn't dispel gloom in your life, not others. 
Because when it stops dispelling gloom in your life, that means you're starting to run on empty. And you get to where it doesn't dispel in other people's lives. And you've wrung every drop of juice out of that gas tank. And you're going to run out of gas. And it ain't going to be pretty. Do you hear my heart? These gifts are amazing. They are tools. They're weapons. They are ways of building and, and moving. But none of us are the Savior. Scripture is full of prophets, full of kings, full of... None of us are it. We need each other. One of the biggest laments of people with the acts, the gift of mercy, is that they don't seem to attract other people with gifts of mercy. Why doesn't anyone understand me? All the gifts in some way feel that way. Am I the only one? Yes and no. Please, those of you with this gift, Take a deep breath in this time because your bells are going. Wah, wah, wah. Okay, turn it off. It's serious. Until it all calms down and you can hear his still small voice. You can't say, you know, what's that story about? All this starfish washed up on the beach and this little girl was walking along picking up and throwing and somebody said, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. And she said, well, not for this starfish. That's your job. The starfish God points out. The rest of them, let them die. Uh, he'll judge the other people with that, your gifting who aren't going to those starfish. It's not your job. You can't be God. Okay. Okay, we're going to stop there. Our time is up. Um, hopefully that was helpful. The, the gifts from different angles and different perspectives and the different meanings. And we all have these. And it's not like, you know, we're either this or that. Sometimes they ebb and flow a bit. And you relate to some and you relate to more of something else. All of this is meant to enable us to grow in our faith and to grow in our awareness of him. And be aware of the people around us, but we'll get into that in other sessions. So let's, let's pray. I'm actually going to pray the prayer out of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you would like to find out more about who we are, you can find that at ctfboulder.com. If you haven't already, please make sure to follow us on all of our other social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Spotify. We post different content on each platform, and we want you guys to stay as updated as possible. We have so much love for you guys. God bless.